Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. My name is Diana Potter, for those who don't know me. Um... I am an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene and the director of Nazarene Campus Mission at Tulsa University. Ronnie is on vacation, and I'm filling in. We are looking at John chapter 6 to 7, two chapters, so you're going to be here for a long time. No. Um, so if you could open up your apps, your Bibles, your... Go on the internet and pull up John 6 to 7 and, and get into that right now. Um, I'm going to review some of what we've gone through for the last few, um, five weeks. Um, chapter 1, preeminence of Christ, the logos, the meaning of life. Also, um, Ronnie spoke about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Chapter 2, uh, Jesus provides drinks at a party. Mary is helping while hoping. She's serving while waiting for her miracle. She had been waiting over 30 years to see the fulfillment of, her, of the promise that God gave her. Chapter 3, how God loves a skeptic, Nicodemus. Chapter 4, divine appointments, the woman at the well, the official son. Last week, Josh spoke on the, Jesus, the son of God. And this week we're going to be looking at John chapter 6 to 7, and we're going to be looking at who do you say Jesus is? The battles that I found in this text um, is four battles. They're all answered, I believe, mostly by the first battle. Who is Jesus? The second battle is What authority does he have to do the things he does? The third is the faith of his followers. And the fourth is learning when Jesus is speaking figuratively or literally. Number two and three are answered when we know the answer to number one. Number four is answered by number one, but also by the context of the word. Let me spend some time and just open us up in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. I thank you that your word is alive and active in our lives. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts to what you want to say this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. Who do you say Jesus is? What is your confession in your heart in your mind, of who Jesus is. Who does John 6-7 say Jesus is? Let's look at the context first of his interactions in John 6-7. They take place during two Jewish observances, the Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's helpful to understand the religious context Jesus is speaking into. What he often says relates to the scriptures or the observances that are being followed during that time period. 
he will often be addressing what they are observing in the temple and in their, their um, time periods, their holidays. Oops. So please stand by for technical difficulties. Let's look at, um, first, the Passover. In John chapter 6, we're told that it's the time of the Passover. The time of the Passover is a retelling of the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It's when, when we did the Seder a few months back, Ronnie talked about how it was added to the tradition of looking forward to the Messiah. And if you miss the Seder, I recommend that next year when we do it, that you join us, because it, it was amazing. In the Exodus story, which is what the Passover is about, they prepared a meal of an unblemished lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. you remember eating the bitter herbs? I do. Um, they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts at the time of the Passover to protect them against the coming spirit of death that was going to take the firstborn of Egypt. In Exodus 12.8, it says they shall eat the flesh of the lamb. Exodus 12.14 commands removing the leaven from the houses. Anyone who ate leaven or yeast during the Passover celebration would be cut off. Passover would remind the Jewish people of Moses. It would remind Jewish people of the lamb, the Passover lamb, the manna in the desert, the unleavened bread, it would remind them of the provision of the quail in the desert and Moses hitting the rock and the water gushing out of the rock. Um, it reminded them of the escape from Egypt and oppression. The Feast of the Booze or, or the Feast of Siloam, which Joshua, they would go to the fountain of Gehan, which fed the Pool of Siloam, which Josh talked about last week, was a place where people went for healing. And they would go to the pool or the spring and they would put a pitcher in the spring and they would get a pitcher of water. They would bring it back to the temple. They would pour it on the altar and it would flow through the altar onto the ground underneath the altar. And on the seventh day, they would do that seven times. In, um, this relates to John chapter 7 at the end where it talks about springs of living water will come from us. And if you remember when Ronnie spoke about... Um, the woman at the well, he told her that what rivers of living water would flow from her, that the, it would spring up inside her. And then it also speaks about the feast. The feast also points to the provisions also of God in the desert. These festivals acted for the Jews just like our Christmas and our Easter act for us. When we think of the word Christmas, when we think of the word Easter, certain things automatically come into our mind. So it is for the Jewish people when, when it was the Passover, these things would come to their mind that Jesus was hitting on these themes in the things that he did. So, who does the text, John 6-7, to say that Jesus is? Now, some of the names may change depending on the uh, version of the Bible. It may say Christ, it may say instead of Messiah or something like that. But for the most part, these are what Jesus is called in these two chapters. In John 6.14, the crowd calls him the prophet. 
In 625, the disciples call him rabbi or teacher. In 627, 53, 62, Jesus calls himself the son of man. In 634, the crowd calls him Lord. Now that's not Lord in, in the form of like a lordship or a, or a lord of a kingdom. It was a matter of a honor, a respect like sir. Um, in uh, 635, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. In 640, he calls himself the son. And then in 641, I am the bread that came down from heaven. In 642, the Jews called Jesus, him Jesus and the son of Joseph. And as Ronnie spoke about the son of Joseph, when they called him the son of Joseph, that wasn't an honor. That wasn't a respect. As he spoke about, it was, it was a, a sign of disrespect because they knew the story. It was actually, and they knew the story of Joseph. They knew that Jesus had been born out of wedlock. And it was actually a derogatory way of saying, we know who you come from. We know your parents and we know that you were born before they were married. So it was, it was a, a dig at him. It wasn't a respectful thing. Um, Jesus calls himself in 646, the one who is from God. In 648, I am the bread of life. In 651, I am the living bread. In 667, his, Peter calls him Lord and then he calls him the Holy One of God. In 726, the crowd asks the rulers whether they have decided whether Jesus is the Christ. In 740, the crowd calls him the prophet and asks if this is the Christ or the Messiah. What have you called him? Who is he in your heart? Who is he in your spirit? Who is he in your mind? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your rock? Is he your prophet? Is he your Messiah, your Savior? Is he the one that gives you life? Who do you say Jesus is in your heart? What do the miracles say that Jesus is? The miracles... In 6, 1, 4, 1 to 14. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then when Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Peter, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for for everyone to receive even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves. Now, barley loaves were the bread of the poor. And two fish. And these two fish were most likely like dried minnows, not like a shark or, you know, a, a catfish, but two little dried minnows. Among 
But what are these among so many people? What is a happy meal, I think Ronnie called it, among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 basketfuls with the leftover from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. He, may, he feeds 5,000 people during the Passover out of five barley loaves and two minnows. Specifically, considering there was bread and fish, it reminded them of the manna that they were fed in the desert, maybe even the quail. God fed them in the de- and after fleeing Egypt. The next day he teaches them about being the bread of life and having to eat of his bread and his flesh in John 6, 26 to 63. John 6, I'm going to read 648 to 63. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will lose my forever. The bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, There's those truly, trulys again. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, talking about the guys in the desert that ate the manna. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, and remember, the Israelites grumbled a lot in the desert, so nothing's changed in all those years, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This also connects with John 7, 37 to 38. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We have already looked at the connection between the Passover and what Jesus is talking about and the feeding of the 5,000. The idea of living water flowing out of Jesus connects with the miracle of Moses hitting the rock in the desert and the water flowing out of the rock. When their ancestors were grumbling for water, because the miracle in John 6.30, during the teaching of the bread, because the miracle he did was equivalent to what Moses did, and he was saying, he was communicating and saying that he was greater than Moses. And they turn around so they want a miracle greater than what Moses did. And Jesus turns around and says, Moses didn't do it. My father did. God did. Man can't do this kind of stuff. Man can't provide you food out of nothing. Only God can. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for today besides McDonald's or pizza? What are you hungry for in your spirit today? What are you looking for from Jesus? What will convince you that Jesus is who he says he is? Who do you say he is? The next miracle we'll look at is Jesus is... Um, walking on water in John six fifteen to 21. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. After getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles out, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. Can you imagine somebody walking in the midst of the storm on top of the water towards you in a boat? I'd be scared. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they went, so they were willing to receive him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Both miracles show Jesus' power over the normal things of nature, above the normal things of nature. It shows that he has power over the natural order of things. He has power over gravity. He has power to multiply food. You know, we, we have these 3D printers now. And if you put food in them, you, it, they can actually print food out. But just like a, a food factory, 
you have to put a quantity, quantity in to get a certain quantity out. If you want to multiply the quantity out, you have to multiply the quantity in. Jesus took five barley loaves and two minnows and produced food for 5,000 out of nothing. That's not natural. That shows a power above nature. He walked on top of water. Now, the Dead Sea, which is down south of the, the Sea of Galilee, is very saline, and you can actually float on it. But normal water, if you step out of it, think about if you, if you stepped off the edge of a built-in pool. What's going to happen? You're going to go, whoosh. You're going to sink, unless you start paddling real quick. Jesus not only steps out, but he walks across it. That defies the law of gravity, which would pull you down. Plus, the minute they got to their desti- the minute he got in the boat, they got they reached their destination, which means he either used the power of nature to propel the boat there, or he used some other force to get them there immediately. What miracle do you need in your life? Think about this. What are you looking for? What miracle do you need in your life? What storms do you need Jesus to still for you? To rescue you from? Who do you say Jesus is? We have several groups in this text. We have the crowds, the Jewish leaders, a larger group of Jesus' followers, and the twelve. Which group do you belong to? Here's the question. Do you want to follow the teachings and miracles of Jesus? Or do you want to be a disciple? In, in these two chapters, I've found two things that point to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first one is, it's being faithful in tough times. It's being faithful when there's tough lessons and tough teachings. It's being faithful when things happen or things are said that you don't expect. It's not walking away from tough teachings. It's not taking that tough teaching and just putting it aside. In verses 648 to 58, John 114 about eating his flesh. In John 114, John 114 comes in handy for us to understand this message, this passage. The word became flesh. Jesus is saying in John 6 to chomp chew, gnaw, eat at his flesh. But John 1 sets the table for understanding that teaching. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning (coughs) with God. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. 
the Word became flesh. It is His words, the Word, that He wants us to consume. His teachings during Passover point to Moses, the manna, the unleavened bread, and the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, during the institution of the Lord's Supper, said, this is my body and blood. Do this in remembrance of me. What he was about to sacrifice for them. But we also must remember the word became flesh. We lose the meaning of the Lord's Supper if we do not chew, gnaw, eat, and take inside the word of God. If we don't have an understanding of what the Word of God is saying about who Jesus is and what He's done, we lose the meaning of what this, what this meal is. We will never fully understand the Lord's Supper unless we fully understand who Jesus is. We can enjoy it, and we, we can understand part of it, and, and it can bless us. But the more we understand of God's Word, the more we understand of who Jesus is and what He did, the more we can enjoy what the Lord's Supper means. The second thing is about being a disciple is realizing people will fall away or not believe your message. This can get tough because one of the groups that typically will not listen to us is our family. For Jesus, it was his brothers. And if you go back to what I said about being the son of Joseph, for his brothers, they they must not have had an easy time. I'm sure opportunities were taken away from them because they were the sons of Joseph and Mary. Because they were sons of the couple who had a baby out of wedlock. And, And Ronnie had talked about the impact to the second and third generation of shame. So there were chances that they lost out on being able to pick a a good wife or the the wife that they wanted because they came from that family of shame. But his brothers doubted him. They challenged him to show himself. Basically, they are saying, if you are the Messiah, and they are basically speaking the idea of an earthly Messiah, If you are the Messiah, tell the people and do more miracles. Go to Jerusalem, show yourself, start doing all kinds of miracles in Jerusalem so people will believe you. But they also challenged the faith of his disciples to him and they tempted him to use his power to gain disciples. It's sort of like the temptation that Satan baited him with in the desert. I will give you an earthly kingdom. And Jesus rebuked them. And Jesus turns away when his brothers are saying this and going, no, I'm not going to go down. This is not what, this is not my time. This is not what I came here for. I didn't come here to be an earthly Messiah. He was understood by the crowds. And we're going to be understood by the crowds, misunderstood by the crowds. They wanted to be healed. They wanted food for their stomachs. They wanted an earthly Messiah. But when, they, but when tested, they drifted away and even turned on him in the end. The next group is the leaders of his faith. This is another tough one. 
They wanted to kill him. Can you imagine when the leaders of your faith don't believe in you? You're raised in the faith. You're raised in a particular... You were raised from a child in a particular group of people and the leaders of those people don't believe in you. The, the people who, should, who knew the word up here but didn't know the word in here. did not believe in him. His followers fell away. After his, his discourse or his teaching on the flesh, they went away. Why? The offensive words did not cause them to ponder what he was saying. Instead of, instead of trying to think about and look into the word and try to figure out what he was talking about, instead of turning on their listening, their spiritual hearing aids, they took offense. That's one of the difficult, easy things that we can do is we can take offense at a hard teaching and shut off our, our spiritual hearing aid. And that's basically what they did. He had spoken figuratively, yet they were taking literally that they were basically to be cannibals. Eating the flesh with blood in it was against the law of Moses. This language would have been extremely offensive to them. On top of this, he said, drink his blood. And in the law of Moses, they were not to drink meat with the blood of the animal in it. They were to drain the blood out of the animal and they were not to drink that blood. That was forbidden. So, again, who do you say Jesus is? Search your heart. If he is a prophet, prophets speak truth. Could he say all he said and just be a prophet? If what he said is a lie... He can't be God's prophet or God's spokesman. Or, for that matter, a good rabbi or a good teacher. Considering the stuff that Jesus said, if it was a lie, he wasn't even a good man. So he is either he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, come to reconcile us to the Father and restore our relationship with the Father and take away the one thing that was in the way, our sin, or he's a liar. We have to decide that. Like the 12 disciples, when things get tough, we have a decision to make, to stay or to go. When we come across a hard teaching, we have a decision to make to stay and learn about that teaching or just ignore it. But like Peter, what Jesus says and does forces us to make hard decisions. Will we walk away or will we confess he is the Holy One of God? When he asks tough things of us, when he asks us to sacrifice our idols, when he asks us to lay things down that are as important to him or maybe even as important as him or maybe more important to him, will we lay that thing down or will we walk away? Will we lay down our jobs 
or anything else he calls us to lay down? Or will we walk away? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means being obedient to his word, being obedient to his call, and following him no matter what. It's not easy. And the Bible says it's not easy. And we've, we've been lied to that says the Christian life is you become a Christian and, and it's easy street. The Bible is full of quotes and verses that tell you that you, will be, you can be persecuted for becoming a believer of Jesus Christ. So we have a choice like Peter. Will we stay or will we go? Will we walk away or will we confess as Peter did? He is the Holy One of God. And Peter did make mistakes. We know Peter made mistakes. We know Peter almost walked away. But Jesus brought him back and he was willing to make that decision to come back. And once he came back, he was on target. And once the Holy Spirit fell, he stayed on target with with being a disciple and being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ until they hung him upside down. So, when the tough stuff comes, will we continue to walk with him or drift away? If he is the Holy One of God, will we, do we, eat his flesh, the word, and obey? Who do you say Jesus is today? Who is Jesus in your heart? Is he a teacher? Is he merely a teacher? Is he merely a rabbi? Is he merely a prophet? Or do you believe he has restored your relationship with the Heavenly Father and taken away the burden of sin that interfered with you and the Father's relationship? Jesus came So we could have an eternal relationship with the Father starting the minute we accept that gift. The purpose of Jesus is not just to save us from our sin and and give us a life preserver. The purpose of Jesus is to restore and reconcile us to his heavenly Father who loves us so dearly. He sent his son to die for us. Who do you say Jesus is this morning? I would like- Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.